You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we sit down with Swati, who is the co-founder and CEO of PropelX. Swati has been a management consultant, an investment professional, and is now an entrepreneur. Prior to starting PropelX, Swati was an investment professional at Exigen Capital, where she worked on IT telecom, travel, and BPO deals. Before that, she was a management consultant working across a variety of industries. Swati is the co-founder of the MIT Alumni Angel Investor Group. She founded and led the group from 2013 to 2015 and continues to be on the screening committee. She has an MBA from the Sloan School of Management, an MS from MIT, an MS from UC Berkeley, and a bachelor's degree from the Indiana Institute of Technology, Roar Key. Outside of work, Swati loves to spend time with family, watch movies, and read. All right, now let's start this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Swati, thank you for taking the time to debate to be on the Silicon Valley podcast. Now, before we start, I want to thank Maya Tuzing, who is, well, one, she's my mentor, so I'm very proud of that. She's amazing. <laughs> she's a past guest of the show. So check out the episode. I mean, Maya gave us some amazing advice about nonprofits, about charities, about trust, about, you name it, it was an amazing episode. So go in our archives and check that out. But Maya's the one that made the introduction for today. So first off, thank you, Maya. And with that, Swati, thank you for being on our on our on our episode today, but you know, for our, our audience out there, can you tell us a little bit about your career, what you're working on? Just give us some background information before we dive into the the easy questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, great to be here, Sean. Thank you for having me, and uh, it's a pleasure. So, a little bit about me. Hmm. Let's start from the very beginning, which is a great place to start. <laughs> So I, I came here for my graduate studies, grew up in India, came here for graduate studies, went to Berkeley, MIT, became a management consultant for five years, ended up doing a lot of work in financial services and finance in general. So went back to Sloan to get my MBA full time with the focus on finance and then started in investing. So I was at MSX, Siemens Venture Capital, and also a private equity firm here in this SFB area. And there I discovered my passion for startups. You know how it is with San Francisco. Wait, you're at private equity and <laughs> yes. you discovered startups. <laughs> yes. So let me explain. <laughs> I mean, um, the startups there, they were the ones that are only valued at 100 million. Right? Oh, correct. Okay. That's right. <laughs> but I think it is the vibe in San Francisco, which you cannot avoid running into startups. I mean, they're being thrown into your face every step you take, right? How can you not be influenced? And I was, and I have a passion for technology. I've grown up in science and technology, and I really care about, and I'm curious about, and I'm enamored of, and fascinated by the idea that technology can change the trajectory of humankind, and does every few years, you know. And so I was very interested in being an angel investor. I was just breaching that credited investor threshold, and hey, I wanted to be an angel investor, so aspiring angel went to different angel groups, didn't, wasn't quite compelled by some of the investment opportunities available there. Weren't interested in the the companies being presented or weren't interested in kind of the other angels and their investment thesis? Like what was not interesting? Oh, I would say it was the kinds of companies at that time that were being presented, 
right? And they, so this is about 10 years back almost, right? So everything at that time was social, local, mobile, right? And and that is simply not compelling to me. I love science and I love technology. And I wanted to, if I'm going to be an angel investor, then I want to invest in things that truly have an impact on the world. And so that's when I started using the term deep technology, you know, and popularized it, I suppose, and then started the MIT Angels Group with a focus on deep technology. Well, before we go any further there, deep tech, Mm -hmm. that name, at least in my experience, kind of gets thrown around. And when you you actually ask Mm -hmm. someone, hey, what's deep tech? They're like, well, you know, tech people don't know about. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) what's your definition of deep Mm -hmm. tech? So I actually wrote an article on this or call, call it an essay on LinkedIn actually many years back probably one of the first, probably the first essay around this because that's when we started using the term. So we define deep technologies, companies that are leveraging breakthroughs in science and engineering to move humankind forward, right? Now that can span across many different sectors, including life sciences, energy, green technologies, food and agriculture, aerospace, transportation, you name it, right? Those are all technologies that emerge out of a lot of R&D. I mean, there are certain characteristics to them, of course, right? It's not just kind of off-the-shelf plug-in software here, off-the-shelf plug-in software there, combine the two. That's not what it is. So hopefully that clarifies things. Gotcha. The black box where no one knows what's going on. No, you do know what's going on. (laughs) You need to ask the right questions, right? You need to ask the right questions. And you need to ask for data. Okay, so you really like deep tech. Yes. And then you were mentioning MIT Angels or? or Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's not stop there. So I founded the MIT Angels to focus on deep tech. And in the course of running that angel group, I mean, we got connected with a lot of investors of all stripes and also startups, you know, whether it's from Berkeley, MIT or various SBIR programs and so on. What I realized was these are the companies that have the potential to become the Teslas, Illuminas of the world. And they find it so hard to raise financing, especially in their earliest days. So I thought there was a larger opportunity there. And I started PropelX originally as a way to connect deep tech startups with investors. So PropelX, that's your current company, that's correct? My current company, yeah. <laughs> that's the company I founded and run. So that was the original intention. Of course, we have now evolved greatly. Now it is an alternatives investment platform broadly. But yes, let me stop there. So that is my life story. Where can I go deeper in? Okay, so one, I'm kind of curious, what has been the path of MIT Angels? Uh, If you're still involved, what what are they doing? And then I'm really also kind of curious about, you know, this platform that you've built, because, I mean, there's so many platforms out there. Mm -hmm. What differentiates what you're doing and everyone else? So I'm not sure where you want to go first. Yeah, no, let's start with the easier one, which is what's up with the MIT Angels. They continue to be awesome as they always were. And... My friend, advisor, mentor, Ronjan Nag, now is the executive director of the MIT Angels. I stepped down in 2015 and we continue to focus on deep technology startups. Very proud to say that some of our early investments have had exits. One of them went public. It was a big, big offering, uh, SQZ Biotech. So I'm very proud of that. You know, I had uh, brought that in at that time, long back. So they are doing well. I'm on the steering committee still very much involved in Gage. I know all of the MIT angels and I love them from the bottom of my heart. How does an angel group celebrate when a portfolio company goes public? Do you guys have a... (laughs) (laughs) Yay, yay. (laughs) A party. No, the portfolio company actually came and visited us, met with all the angels. You know, so there is a long-term relationship that you establish. And it's like that. It was awesome. (laughs) 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, now now Propel X, the yeah. platform itself. Yeah. A lot of platforms out there. In fact, I'm not even sure how many I get emailed to me all day long from founders going, hey, we're running this on this platform mm-hmm. or that platform. Can you give us kind of maybe an overview of these different platforms and then how is yours different than everything else in the market or the benefits or you know, disadvantages of some of the the different ones? Yeah, sure. I won't talk about the disadvantages so much as some of the other ones, but I can certainly talk to our advantages. So let me start with PropelX. I mentioned that we originally started as this way to connect deep tech startups with investors, but we've had our own evolutionary journey. And I would say two big things are, one was we registered a subsidiary as a broker dealer in 2018. And so that's when things changed quite dramatically because as a broker dealer, we have an obligation to conduct due diligence on the opportunities that close on the platform. We have an obligation to, under regulation, best interest, to put the best interest of our users ahead of our, you you know all of this, Sean. This is for our audience. (laughs) Tell our audience out there. Yes, of course. So um, we are a highly regulated platform and that means we became very highly curated. So we are highly curated. We have big investors as well as small investors all participating on the same platform and we enable flexible check sizes. So for example, a family office can invest quarter million dollars directly onto the cap table of the startup, whereas an individual investor can invest $5,000 into a syndicate that we manage, right? So there's different ways to invest. We take a success fee. And so that did change and that was way back in 2018. And then 2020, you know, Franklin Templeton Investments became an investor in our company, among other things, among other investors. And we started expanding beyond just deep tech. We started doing, by, by doing other kinds of, or other sectors of startups, whether it's fintech or other. And then we expanded beyond startups to offer our first venture fund and then our first hedge fund recently. So we are now an alternatives investment platform broadly. We enable accredited investors to invest in alternatives using small check sizes. Very specifically, we offer three types of alts, investments in startups, investments in venture funds run by us, investments in hedge funds run by other GPs. And accredited investors can invest in startups with a minimum of $5,000 and funds with a minimum of $25,000. So that's what we do today. Should I go ahead and answer your, you had like lots of other questions. Well, even before I'm going further, you mentioned syndicates. Yes. Can you tell our audience, because I mean, that's one topic I'm, I'm trying to think back to all our episodes. I'm not really sure if we've ever actually covered syndicate investments. And that's, that's a huge part of Silicon Valley. That, that's something <laughs> I think most of our audience should know about. So can you tell about syndicates, why people might be interested in doing it? The uh, kind of the structure, as much information for our, our audience to go, oh, now I, now I kind of understand it. Oh, wow. You want me to explain all of syndicates? (laughs) Well, I'll try. I'll try. So here is the thing that startup investments are risky. All alternative investments are risky. There is the potential for every investor to lose their entire invested capital, right? These are illiquid. You have long holding periods, 10 years or more sometimes. So with all that risk, as as kind of wise uh, investment making, investment decision making, You want to invest a small proportion of your investable assets into alternatives. Why? Because these are risky assets, right? They also have the potential to generate higher returns and that's why you make these investments. But you should invest or the right thing to do would be to invest a small proportion of your investable assets. 
Now let's take the example of startup investments, right? Not only do you have to invest a small proportion, but you want when you make these investments because they are risky, you want to have a diversified portfolio, right? So let's think of an angel group where lots of these investment opportunities are being presented. In order to have a diversified portfolio, you want to make at least 20 investments, right? And the average angel check size is about $25,000, right? So now you're invested $500,000 into startups alone. Now, assuming that that is a small proportion of your investable assets, let's say 5%, right? $500,000 is 5% of your investable assets. That means your investable assets must be about 10 million or more. So what that does is it automatically eliminates the possibility of ordinary people from accessing these kinds of companies because how many people have 10 million or more in net worth, right? So the whole advantage or, or the effort here was to lower that minimum so that people can develop a diversified portfolio using small check sizes. And the way to do that is to create a special purpose vehicle, like a new vehicle into which all the investors or invest small checks. We aggregate all of those checks into a single investor and then invest as a single investor into the startup. Now, what that does for the startup is, okay, I have a single investor. I don't have 25 different investors. So what that does for the investor is you can invest $5,000 in each startup and have a portfolio of 20 startups using only $100,000, right? As opposed to 500 in the other case. So we have really dramatically, the, the big advantage of SPVs is it dramatically lowers the amount of capital required to build a diversified portfolio. That's the big benefit. So how do VCs and family offices use syndicates? So VCs typically create what is called a sidecar fund. So whenever they have a fund and they make an investment in company A, they'll say, you know what, if my LPs want to also invest directly, now you're already exposed to company A through my fund. But hey, if you want additional exposure, here's a sidecar fund or here's a SPV that I've created. Why don't you invest in this? You can again give me fee and carry and that SPV will also invest into the same company but you will have additional direct exposure into the company if you like it. So that's what VCs tend to do. Family offices are on the buying side, right? So family offices are the LPs often. So they will invest into the SPV so that they became, become a party or they get exposure to that underlying startup. So that's how VCs and family offices use it. On PropelX, family offices have the opportunity to go direct or into syndicate. So we have big check writers, like I mentioned earlier which is often family offices, international funds. Let's say they're investing a quarter million, half a million dollars. They can appear directly on the cap table of the startup. So we make that happen through the platform. Are there any advantages or disadvantages of being directly on the cap table versus being in one of these syndicates? Yes, there are. So if you're directly on the cap table, the biggest advantage is you are not paying the performance fee or carried interest. Right. So in a syndicate, typically, like a syndicate has to make money. So we charge a fee and a carried interest. If you go direct, you pay us a one-time fee. And in general also, you, whoever it is that you're working with, whichever intermediary, you skip the intermediary altogether. In our case, because we found the company, etc., you pay us a one-time small nominal fee of 2% and you become the investor. There is no carried interest to be paid. That is the single biggest advantage. In addition to that, you're directly in communication with the company. You're getting all of their messages and you're on their cap table, etc. 
you can be a major investor, you can have your own pro rata. All those good things come with being a direct investor. But there are advantages to being in a syndicate as well, which is that we are here to manage that syndicate. At least in our case, and I do not purport to speak for every other SPV manager. In our case, we are here to manage that syndicate. And we look out for the rights or we do our best to look out for the rights of our users for every syndicate. We stay in touch with the portfolio company. You don't have to chase them for updates, etc. We will stay in touch. We will update you as required. We will do all the taxes, K1s, you know, send them to you on time. So we do stay in touch and we keep updating our users so that they are in touch with what's going on with their investments. That's the big advantage is that you have a manager who's managing things for you. So with these syndicates, is there any any vocabulary that people seem confused about when looking at early stage and syndicates? Oh my God. Um, I feel they are confused about a lot of things. The people who are generally using them, I think they now have an understanding, right? But the biggest thing is there's a lot of interchangeable terms which all mean the same thing. For example, special purpose vehicle. I mean, a special purpose vehicle could be anything, but in the case of startups and investing, it usually is structured as an LLC, limited liability corporation. Those LLCs could be series LLCs or separate LLCs. We'll go into that later. But (laughs) the point is that an SPV equals in the case of a startup investing, usually an LLC. And in the case of a fund investing equals a feeder fund. These are all things that mean the same thing, which is LLC basically. That's the organization structure. But some people call it an SPV. Some people call it an LLC. Some people call it a series LLC. Some people call it a separate LLC, multi-class LLCs, multi-series LLCs, which LLCs broadly. And then there is this idea of a feeder fund for funds. It also is an LLC. Any more vocabulary there? Uh, (laughs) We'll stop here for now. (laughs) What about the K-1s for SPVs? Okay. (laughs) Now, think about it like this. When we create a special purpose vehicle, we have to register it somewhere. We register it with the state of Delaware as a series LLC. Now, when you register, it's kind of like a new company, right? When you register a new company, you have to do certain things, which is Report your taxes, report your taxable income, file your taxes every year. Now, whoever the beneficial shareholders or the members are or whoever the investors are, they receive a copy of, because um, these LLCs are what is called pass-through entities, which means that whatever income or loss is earned by the LLC, it is passed directly on to the members, right? Members are the people who actually invested in that SPV. So, when it is passed on, someone has to tell them what was your proportionate ownership or what was your proportionate profit or loss. That is the K-1. That document, which we share annually, is the K-1. So it is attached as schedules to your tax tax documents. It's called the Schedule K-1. We send the K-1s to everyone. So that is what a K-1 is. So the K-1 is used by the investors for their taxes. Yeah. Before that, you'd mention Series LLC. <laughs> What's a series LLC versus a regular LLC? Oh my God. Is this real? Okay. So, um, I told you before we asked the easy questions. <laughs> I, I told you right at the beginning, these are all softballs. All right. All right. Absolutely. So, when you register with the state of Delaware, right, you say, okay, I'm creating an LLC, 
you can create a new LLC for every company that you invest in, for example, a new and separate LLC. That has certain, so every new company that you register, you have to pay the fees, annual fees for that, right? And that, of course, is paid by the members. So every time, you know, if I, every year, if I have to pay $350, let's say the LLC has a lifetime of 10 years, that's $3,500 just in fees to pay to the state of Delaware, right? Leave alone managing and the taxes and the K-1s and so on. That is a separate expense. So to minimize those, you want to minimize those expenses while also having kind of an umbrella structure for all of your investments. So you create a master LLC. Think of it as the parent LLC, which has lots of little children. And so only the parent, as you know, in the case of all families, only the parent pays the taxes. Children don't pay the taxes, right? So the parent is recognized as the registered entity. And then each series is kind of a child underneath of that. So which doesn't have to necessarily file separately with Delaware. You can if you want, but I won't even go into that now. Interesting. Okay, so let's move to the companies that might might be invested in. Mm -hmm. How important is it for these companies to know their metrics and be able to share them for being on your platform or these other platforms? So I would say that series B on, it is critical, right? You should know them like a back of your hand. But earlier than that, especially seed, it is a little laughable if you have like metrics down to the second decimal point because it's not realistic, right? So coming back to what we offer our investors, remember I said we offer startups, we offer venture funds, we offer hedge fund. So in terms of startups, we do early stage startups, which is seed and series A, and then we do growth stage startups. And the growth stage, we really like, in every case, we like to work with venture capital firms who are our partner VCs. That's how we source deal flow for ourselves is we work with partner VCs. Especially on the growth stage startups, we are constantly looking to expand our network of partner VCs. The way we work is we like to take their pro or we like to help them fill their pro rata, right? And we will share carried interest on that. For the for our audience vocabulary, pro rata. <laughs> yes, um, let me. Pro rata is the Italian or whatever the Latin word for. Well, you really know the origin. <laughs> <laughs> proportionate, all right. So proportionate ownership in this case. So let's assume you invested in a startup. Let's assume there's a venture capital firm which invested in a startup, and at that time it had a small valuation. Let's say you invested a half a million, like a, I'm thinking of seed stage funds, half a million dollars, let's say a million dollars. The company does amazingly well and now they're onto their series C and your valuation, their valuation has gone up substantially and your proportionate, if you want to maintain your proportionate ownership, now imagine this, other, your pie is expanding in order to maintain your proportionate ownership, you have to keep paying up to have your proportionate ownership of that pie. You don't have the money or if the fund is small and too small to actually maintain the proportionate ownership, we say, why don't we partner? Let's be friends. We will fill that proportionate ownership. As you know, we get some amount of carried interest or performance fee on that. We will share half of the carry with you, right? So we like to work with early stage investors who may have pro rata or proportionate ownership in later stage rounds. Uh, we love to do series B and on. Alongside these VCs, we like to see deals which are being filled by top tier, led by top tier VCs and filled. So, so let's come to what is different about Propellex. 
every platform is democratizing everything for everyone. That's their purported mission. Our mission, to be very clear, is to democratize access to highest quality alternatives for ordinary accredited investors. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying that you go invest in, you know, uh, someone idea that started yesterday. No, that shouldn't be the risk taken by ordinary individual investors. We want to enable them to invest in the best quality, what we believe is the best quality startups, right? Which is, which are being led by top tier VCs. And we are the ones making available this access to ordinary investors, which otherwise is not possible through other platforms. So that's that's what is different about Propelex is the quality and the curation and the access that we have through our network, partner network of VCs. There's one question I wanted to ask, piggybacking on, on the the companies and their metrics. I was kind of curious what metrics should they track? What metrics should they have on your platform? But I'm more, I guess, curious just if you want to answer that, fantastic. But also the accredited investors that are on your platform, how do they go about screening the companies? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the metrics, what that companies should have first. So it really depends on your industry, right? Many of our companies are deep technology startups, right? And so it is helpful to have some kind of customer, proof of concept product projects, pilot projects, proof of technology, lots of data. Those are things that are great. If you're doing some kind of consumer product, then you have different metrics, revenue being one of them, uh, number of sales, you know, stuff like that. Those are different. So it really depends on what your business is. You know your business best of all. You know what metrics you should be tracking. And the question we ask is, what are the metrics in your industry? <laughs> Tell us about those. And so, so it really depends. Your other question was, how do accredited investors screen these investments? So first and foremost, we curate investments. You will not find 200,000 investments on Propelex. You will find a curated list of about 15 investment opportunities, all of which are being led by top tier VCs. And you have the ability to invest alongside them using small check sizes, right? So we are curating them. After that, it is on you to do your due diligence on these companies. We do provide a due diligence report, right? And after we have enough interest, we conduct proper legal and corporate due diligence based on FINRA guidelines, which is, you know, you want to make sure things like the, the company is properly formed, background checks, bank account statements, making sure that they have enough runway and that they actually have what they say they have, looking at material contracts, making sure that they in fact reflect what they say they had, stuff like that. So we actually conduct that due diligence. I just like the way you keep, you're saying, you know, so we verify what they actually yeah. said they have. Yes, yes, we trust but verify. <laughs> that's our policy. I mean, that's also the FINRA guideline, right? So we conduct the diligence based on that and we share a due diligence report. You can choose to invest or not based on that. But yes, we encourage users to conduct their own due diligence. Attend investor calls. Almost every company that closes financing on Propelex hosts an investor call. We host it on their behalf. Recordings are available on the website. So view those. There are so many investment materials, but everything from videos and write-ups and pitch deck. So we actually provide a lot of information to users. All investors can at any time connect with the startup or what the fund directly. They can ask a question. There's an ask a question feature. So we enable them lots of opportunities to conduct due diligence. We provide the materials 
And then we provide them with that flexibility on how they want to invest, direct or syndicate. So say this company, say they're successful and they're able to, to raise their next round. How should they go about planning their, bringing on employees and building out their team based on their funding rounds or their funding timeline? Oh my, <laughs> I would say I'm not the expert on that, right? Because it really varies by the industry. It really varies by the industry. There are some of our startups or companies that have raised funding on PropelX that hire engineers, some that hire scientists, some that hire salespeople. I mean, it depends also on your stage of development, right? Let's say if you're a SaaS company, you have the product ready, what you want to hire is salespeople. But if you're still, if you are a deep technology company, you at most times want to be hiring, you hire quite a lot of scientists, engineers, and so on. So it really depends. I, I wouldn't say there is a blanket kind of, or a general statement of how you should hire okay. for every type of company. Another question. So maybe there's a company, not sure on your platform or out there, but maybe they think they have all these funds committed to them. Mm-hmm. but then the checks never arrive. What happens in situations like that? Through the platform? Or mean? maybe just in general funding. But uh, <laughs> you, uh, well, what happens in, ch- in situations like that? Well, you take action, right? Okay, you expected money. You had a growth plan according to that. According to that. Now you don't have the money. Well, you need to have a different plan, right? So you have to adapt to the situation, I suppose, and do what you can to pull up your socks and carry on and keep the chin up and uh, be happy and uh, create uh, new stuff out there. Okay, on your platform, I'm guessing there's a ton of data being collected on on Mm -hmm. companies and what people's interests are currently in the market. Very much. Where is technology moving? So that, I would say, is a difficult question (laughs) because uh, it also depends, again, it depends on the sector, right? But applications of artificial intelligence to almost everything, we've had companies that are doing AI for this and that, you know, AI for everything from discovering new drugs to managing distributed power generation to looking at, you know, personal data or individual personal health data, all of that kind of thing. So applications of artificial intelligence in everything have been the thing for the past, I would say, several years and will continue to be. I think they're going to continue to be in the future. So that is for sure. That's a given. Um, outside of that, I would say in the last year, you know, given the new administration, there has been a resurgence in interest in climate impact things, right? Because the administration is committing funds to mitigate climate impact. So there's a whole set of new emerging managers, what is called basically VCs, investing in climate impact. So these are all kind of climate impact funds. So there has been greater interest in that as well that we have seen. Um, there's also this, uh, you know, the tailwinds of COVID, which have helped healthcare or life sciences in general become more accessible. So people are talking about vaccines and different kinds of vaccines and people know what they mean, etc. So um, that has uh, generated some interest or I would say life sciences is almost always evergreen, but it is there very much so. Have you seen any changes in the investment style or thesis of Silicon Valley over the last two years during the pandemic? Oh, during the pandemic? I don't know. Yes, this year. Absolutely. <laughs> didn't you didn't you see? I mean, despite what despite what people profess, 
venture capital slowed down tremendously especially in later stage deals whereas if you look at the previous years all the dollars were going to later stage deals you know so suddenly the flavor of the season has changed it is not later stage deals anymore but growth stage deals right so you don't want it too early where it's not proven you don't want it too late but suddenly somehow middle of the road seems just right goldilocks phenomenon with the with the change well i mean there's two areas i'm uh, i'm i'm curious of and i'll let you decide which direction we go into one is i'm i'm really curious to dive back to your time with MIT and deep tech and if you evaluate and analyze companies that are in the deep tech space different than software companies but i'm also kind of curious about well before the interview we talked about your company going into india and what you kind of see in <laughs> india so we could do both but i'll let you decide which direction to go well we can talk about india let's talk about the future right uh, but yes i would say that deep tech companies we do evaluate differently than software com- software alone companies yeah <laughs> let's do both <laughs> but let's talk about india what can i tell you about india do you i mean a lot of money from silicon valley and that it's starting to flow in and has been for years where where are you seeing the opportunities there where are you i mean what's what's really driving it in your mind i mean why why are you interested in going to to india yeah <clears throat> like i mentioned to you yes we are interested in opening an india office and it is for two purposes of course we want to have our main um, technology center in india but beyond that we do want to be part of that ecosystem not just india but asia more broadly you know uh, i think india is well connected with places like singapore australia the middle east and there's a lot going on there not to mention a lot of wealth being created there right so people are rising from poor to middle class to accredited investor status and that's always our target right so i think there's a lot of wealth being created there there's a lot of interest in startups that ecosystem has really matured and you know we're seeing also a lot of good startups coming out of there so it's just everything it's the investors that are there it's the startups that are there you know it's the, it's the location i would say close to proximity to places like singapore australia middle east you know far from silicon valley unfortunately but hey we'll bridge that gap <laughs> with that life cycle of early adopters to the growth where do you see the indian startup ecosystem right now is it at the very very beginning no. or where it is not at the very beginning anymore so i would say we are in that you know if you look at that s curve we've really gone past the stage where things were just starting we're in that growth mo- mode now you know just at that cusp of growth i would say maybe even beyond the cusp because like like you mentioned Sean there were 40 unicorns out of india last year india is the number 3 country producing unicorns be- behind of course usa itself and china okay i got one more question companies from india when they go overseas and expand where where are the challenges companies here that want to enter the indian market where are the challenges so companies that come from india and want to expand you know so now there is this um, earlier it used to be cultural challenges but i would say that those have been bridged for the most part because there's a lot of um, cultural back and forth uh, between uh, the usa and america um so that has been bridged for the most part but it, at all times it is going to be understanding the market at all times you have to know your customer right 
whoever your customer is. And so if your market is here, you have to know them. And if your market is here, then in most cases, the founders are people who've been here already. If your market is in India, then founders are people who've been there. So I would say it's just about uh, just organizing, getting organized and getting the capital to start scaling here. Companies that go from here to India, again, it's cultural challenges, right? You have to, you have to know your customer. And if your customer is Indian, then you have to work with Indian people or people who understand the culture and what they're looking for, what the customer is looking for. Yeah. All right, Swati, we've covered quite a bit in this episode. If anyone wants to find out more information about you, PropelX, in fact, if you want to give a blurb on PropelX, now's the perfect time to do it. You know, any, any websites, Twitter handles, anything you want. You know, what's the best way for them to find out more information about you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So once again, PropelX is an alternatives investment platform. We enable accredited investors worldwide to invest in startups, venture funds, and hedge funds with small minimums, uh, $5,000 minimums for startups and $25,000 minimums for funds. Look us up at propelx.com. That's P-R-O-P-E-L-X.com. Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me also on Twitter if you like, but I'm less active on Twitter than on LinkedIn. So would love to have comments, welcome followers and welcome anything else. Thank you. Fantastic. And we'll have all that information in the show notes. And for our audience out there, if you'd like to connect with us on the siliconvalleypodcast.com, we have all our archives, our episodes there. Also connect with us on our other social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram. We post regularly and always producing a new episode every Wednesday. And with that, Swati, I want to thank you for taking your time this week to be on the Silicon Valley Podcast. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.